Hey, welcome to the Zoo Town Podcast. Uh, just giving you a quick update that the next two episodes will be a little different than what you're used to here at Zoo Town Podcast, as they are part of a larger conversation that coincides with our sermon series, Hellology, which Pastor Scott gave earlier this spring at Zoo Town Church. You can find out more information about Hellology at zootownchurch.com backslash hell-ology. The first episode is a conversation between staff members at Zootown Church that was filmed earlier in the winter before Hellology was presented to the church. And it's just going over questions and histories that staff members have had with the topic of hell. The second episode will be answering questions that people have texted in, emailed us, or even just in passing asked us about the Hellology sermon series. And we thought we would take the time to go ahead and answer some of those. So we hope you enjoy the next two episodes of the Zootown Podcast. Again, if you need more information about Hellology, please visit zootownchurch.com backslash hell-ology and enjoy the conversation. Bryce, how did you grow up in your view of hell? What were you taught? Yeah, I was, I guess, from like the earliest time that I can remember understanding hell, it reminded me sort of of uh, what I guess some of the traditional view with sort of Dante and his and his uh, writings where hell was sort of this place. And, and keep in mind, I don't even know if I can say for sure that this was taught to me in church, but this is just what I remember understanding about hell, that there was heaven was above right? And hell was below. It was like underground somewhere. And there was kind of the, this hot place underground. Like right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was this place where like, you know, when you died, you went one of two places. You either went up to heaven or down to hell. And hell was a, was a bad place. It, it, you know, all of the good things you hear about heaven, hell was kind of the opposite. You know, there was the smell and the the experience um, was awful. And I remember understanding that it was hot, it was fiery, but you didn't die, you know? So you were like sort of burned alive, um, but then continually like regenerated so that you can continue to burn um, basically for all eternity. And so obviously pretty fearful place for a kid uh, to think about going to. And uh, so that there was some encouragement there to not, to not want to be there. <laughs> not, go, not go there. Dan, how about you? What were you raised with? Uh, pretty similar. Um, I don't know. I, if I could say if it was expressly put or not, you'd, you'd probably couple it with images of, you know, uh, what hell looks like on Tom and Jerry, uh, you know, with the evil cat and kind of a lot of those like things joined together. Uh, I, but I do think that we did get a lot of uh, imagery from church where we did those, uh, I was even in some of these, uh, like plays and stuff that were about heaven's where, gates, he- hell's flames. Yeah. Exactly. Was that what it was? The exact one? Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, and I think they had a couple different iterations of them and, 
uh, you know, where the person would die and then they'd either go to heaven or to, or to hell. And so when it would go to hell, like the lights would turn off and things would go crazy and you'd hear screaming in the background. And it was kind of like the thing that you wanted to be a part of as a kid because it was like, oh, the Christian horror Thing. The haunted yeah. house. There was yeah. a haunted house. I don't yeah. ever get to go to the haunted house, but now I get to do it on a stage in front of a bunch of people. Um, oh wow! Yeah, that's kind of interesting, right? Like Christians do harvest festivals because yeah. they don't like Halloween, <laughs> but then they'll actually Halloween. bring Halloween. <laughs> Halloween to church. There's, yeah, there's the some intensity house. there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. but I, the, I think the biggest thing that I grew up um, was or believing was that there wasn't other options. It was eternal conscious torment and that was it like i never i didn't actually know that people believed anything other than that until i graduated from high school Mm. and started looking into annihilationism and um you know universalism and some of the other uh beliefs on what could possibly happen to you after other isms (laughs) all the other isms yeah yeah and i up until i was 18 i the only thing that had ever been told to me was that no, if you die and you and you're not a believer in Jesus and but more importantly than that that you haven't confessed all of your sins right up until that very moment uh that you're going to go to hell and you're going to burn like How did you, you know? Said. How did you know all your sins? That was I was convinced I was going to go to hell. Ooh. Because uh I I thought that. I thought there's no way that I will have confessed everything by the time uh you know it inevitably happens to you but you go around with that fear and you're like if i die tonight or if i get hit by a bus i mean i used to think if i picked my nose before i went to sleep oh god your nose was a sin yeah because because my, my parents still <coughs> not i was to, the right? foremost so disobedient <laughs> i'm gonna say I'm, def- I'm definitely going to hell then <laughs> i used to really believe that that like okay well you know or if i did i'd like confess that I disobeyed my parents by picking my nose, and then I'd try and go to sleep. Could you? And confess- you just stopped your. You just kept yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you Cut confess like off. un like unremembered sins, like, or did you feel like you had to remember them all? I I think in those moments that was just you know Scott, you've talked about a little bit with Jenny about how you just confess all the time. Yeah. And it was it was this constant like in the back of my mind there was this constant I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know why I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. So mm. please, I know I know, did something. Please know that I'm sorry and don't send me to hell. Mm. And did you learn that from church or your parents? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah, I, we were in church a lot. I was like a church brat. I was at the church probably three, four days a week, uh, all the way up until the time I could drive and yeah. could make my own decisions. And you still went to church. And then I still went drive. to church. Ty, how about you? What what? Did you grew up with your view of hell? Um, actually, trying to think about this even was hard because I don't, I don't feel like I had, like, it wasn't a conversation. It just wasn't, it, it almost feels like it wasn't a part of my upbringing. When I look back at my childhood and, you know, how, we, how my family looked at our faith, it, it revolved so much around the person of Jesus and grace and love that hell was way down the line in topics of discussion. It just wasn't something, it was, certainly was never used as like a motivator um, in my mind. And I have memories when I saw it used as a motivator and like how that juxtaposition to what I felt like I was brought up with 
and what I was seeing played out in a church service or one of those plays or something like that felt so disjointed and so disconnected for me. I, I think I knew there was a, you know, I thought there was a hell or, or, you know, believed there was a hell, maybe still do, but it just was never this thing that like, so, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. Mm wasn't part of what I was raised with. And it was just like, you know what you need to focus on was Jesus. And if we can focus on Jesus and loving each other, hell exits the conversation was sort of the upbringing that that I recall looking back. I wonder if that's because like most our parents believed in the age of accountability too. Hmm. So like, they're like, well, even if you died, you're good. But then extend that further, like, that sucks. Like you meet, <laughs> you hit this one level of adulthood and then it's like, okay, but now, now you're responsible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of an odd conundrum of a theology to think about. Since it's not in the Bible in the first place. Right. There's no such thing as the age of accountability. But I'm pretty I, sure my parents thought the age of accountability was four. Four? Yeah. Oh man. So they actually, they saw you pick your nose one time yeah. before bed and they're yeah. like, this kid's doomed, man. <laughs> they explained the age of account- accountability to me. And I remember like really distinctly them saying, as soon as you can understand it, that's the age. So uh-huh. you can understand now that your choices matter. And so because of that, um, you better get your stuff together or hmm. you're going to burn. Hmm. <clears throat> I, I put a lot of, faith in what I was taught. So, you know, my, my family was like you, Dan, where like we were in church all the time, you know, sometimes four times a week, whenever there was something going on, we were there and obviously there was no kids church. So we were like, you know, I was sitting through the adult sermons and hearing all of it. And, uh, I just, I just remember, you know, because my parents put that emphasis on church, I trusted what the church told me. And so, I don't remember having questions as a kid, but I think as I got older, I just, it wasn't even necessarily like a conscious question, but I just remember feeling more and more uncomfortable with sort of the, the two sides of God that I was shown or told about by the church, the the one side of, you know, loving and merciful and yeah. gracious. And then the other side, you know, wrathful and tormentative and, uh, and, and essentially, uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it evil, but yeah, I mean, like he, he's going to burn all these people and he's not even just going to burn them up. He's going to like continue regenerating them so that they can continue to burn. So yeah. I definitely That's felt uncomfortable weird. with that. And I think it really felt uncomfortable because it felt like, like I could, I could serve a God that is sort of like serve me or else. Right. Which is kind of the message that I was taught. You know, it, it was like, it was like serve God. Uh, or else he will burn you, you know, like be like, do the right thing. Don't sin or else you're going to end up in hell. Um, but there's like a coercive nature about that, that made it really hard for me to love God. And so there's like this constant command to like that, that we aren't just to like serve God, but also love God. But I had a hard time Mm. really grasping that love because it felt coercive. It felt like God was sort of putting a gun to my head and saying like, you will love me or else I will throw you into uh, <clears throat> into hell and, and burn you forever. But with that being said, I remember in high school, we, we read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was in our English literature book. And I, I fought that picture of God, you know, and partially like I, I felt 
like I, you know, I wanted my classmates to know God wasn't like that, you know? And so, so even at that point, you know, sinners in the hands of the angry, of an angry God, essentially it was a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, if you're not familiar, that talked about God kind of just dangling us over, over the fires of hell, you know, and it was just, we were just held by a thread and he could let us go at any time. And it was, it was that sort of coercive fear uh, that I just, even at that time, I was like, God's not like that. This is not. And, and I, I argued for it against my English teacher who she wasn't arguing the theology of God, but just the, you know, uh, I, I don't even remember how we were opposed, but I think she really felt like this represented the Christian view. And I was like, that's not, that's not who I see. That's not who I believe in. So, yep. cause you had a childlike faith. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. That's, uh, that's interesting that the double-sidedness. So I actually was the opposite to where I loved God. I was more unsure if he loved me. Hmm. Like when you said that, you know, it was hard for you to love God, yeah. but you knew he loved you. I was the opposite. I, I knew I loved God. I talked to him my entire life, no matter what. But I never really grasped if he was cool with me. Right. Even though he created you, right? So yeah. why is that even a thing? What were your questions? I think I, I looked at it a lot where I was just felt like the separation between Jesus and, and father, right. And father was the mean guy and Jesus was the good guy. Jesus came to save us from father, from dad. Um, and I, I guess it's like you say, I I don't know that I necessarily had that many questions as much as I just tried to shove it down and not think about it. I remember thinking, how do you do that though? How do you do that? (laughs) That's your whole life. Yeah. I remember Well, you can't, but especially not when you're alone and you like you get into those moments where you're you're contemplating your day and whatever, even just as a young kid, like what's happening, you're, you're laying in bed. And those are the moments where you just like, I'm trying not to think about it, trying not to think about it. And as a result, I'm thinking about it constantly. <laughs> and I was making those arguments like uh, I remember arguing uh, very similarly with um, with people in the church about, you know, hell isn't a doctrine for uh, for the unbeliever because it was like those turn or burn sermons and stuff, and I was hated those. And they don't give a crap like yeah. the unbeliever, right? So yeah. it's more for the believer. Yeah. The older I got, the more I I couldn't stand the fact that anyone would talk about hell to somebody who didn't believe in Jesus, and realizing uh, that like subconsciously that that was just my problems with hell as Mm. well, you know, but just didn't want to deal with it. And so, uh, I didn't want anybody to talk about it. And because there were too many questions about how can, how can God be loving? And also, uh, my eternal state be so tenuous and feeling like that, feeling like there's any, with any, um, turn of the air, I could find myself in a place where, well, I might might end up in hell. I've been feeling like I've been serving Jesus my whole life, but I messed up today. Oh, you know? God. And so I just I I spent a good chunk of my childhood just trying not to think about it. But you couple that I think with uh, with end times stuff, and I think the two are so intertwined. Yeah. And my parents were so into that like a fire kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that I was always afraid that I was either going to go to hell or I was going to get left behind and then ultimately spend a couple of years being tortured here and then go to hell. That was yeah. what go, I was you, convinced Yeah, you go of. there, then you go to your judgment, and then you go to a worse place. Yeah. 
But if you did get left behind, absolutely do not take the mark of the beast because that's you, there's no coming back. Oh from yeah, that. yep, you're done. I I remember having conversations in uh, first grade with with my friends at school. Tell them don't like it's not really fully understanding it. My parents were already just diving deep into that kind of stuff, and. Uh, Telling him, don't take the mark of the beast. And my friend comes to me the next day. And she goes, this this guy at Target, he tried to give me a sticker. A and stamp? I said, I said <laughs> not no on way. my hand. Or I, my forehead. I, I was at the Western Montana Fair, and he would, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> and, and those things were just so intertwined with each other. Oh, you, this is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> you pull but your hand back to the, the target. This is the worst and six, the best. Six, six, six. No. <laughs> what does that stamp say? It's Illuminati. <laughs> There's a triangle there. I see it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you just you just assume that uh, in those moments, I just I felt like I was gonna try as hard as I possibly could to not go to hell, and that was my ultimate goal as a kid. You, uh, you brought up the, the Turner Burns sermon, yeah. mm-hmm. and I feel like there's been a shift away from that, except for in sort some some extreme sort of fundamental circles. But it was a lot more prevalent when I was a kid. I feel that's like. true. That's and, true. And I remember at some point realizing and they'll use it against you. They'll let you know. Yeah. Back in the 80s, we were scaring the crap out of you guys. <laughs> you know, that, that whole Turner Burn thing. I mean, it, you're trying to convert people is the ultimate aim, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the idea is that like if I put enough fear in you, you'll make the decision to accept Jesus. Yeah. But and then I'll use it as a badge of honor because I oh, led yeah. you away well, that from That was before hell, Facebook, right? but I mean, we had conversion cards and things. <laughs> So you can count how many people said the prayer. It's like Christian Facebook. You don't like it. You have to you convert or yeah. deny. Now we now yeah. we do the cards and then we put the stats on Facebook so yeah. everyone knows that our Easter service wasn't a waste of time. But the whole point is, you know, we we sort of we moved away from those. I feel like general Big C Church moved away from Turner Burn. But I just remember realizing at some point that when I realized that there there is like a spirit of fear. And it was almost like you're trying to convert people instead of letting the Holy Spirit convict people of sin and let them, you know, respond to him. But you're trying to convert people using a spirit of fear. It's and yeah. it's really it's manipulation and mm-hmm. it's borderline. Who wouldn't do that? Yeah, it's border- Who wouldn't say yes? Yeah, I, I remember playing Monopoly and seeing the get out of jail free card and just thinking like, like imagining like that's what we're sort of giving out is these like get out of get out of hell free cards, yeah. you know, so. And we can send it back to our denomination and yeah. <laughs> tell them we did good. <laughs> Which was an interesting thing because I remember going to those sermons and it always felt like three weeks later they would come down on people and be like, this isn't your get out of hell free card. You need to get your stuff together. Uh, and then you're like, well, yeah. why did you give me one in the first place? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just tell me what to do. <laughs> Ty, how about you? It's kind of interesting that you keyed in on that, like the doomsday type thing or even those those plays. I remember like in middle school specifically um, taking a friend who, in my mind, at least at that point, was probably not a believer. And I'm not even totally sure what I mean by that in sixth grade. Like like he probably didn't go to church, so therefore he wasn't a believer. Yeah, he didn't know God mind. at all. Yeah. And so... I think, you know, a different church in town was had this this play that they were going to do. Um, and I thought, well, this is a cool opportunity. I'll take this kid 
uh, who's my friend and I care about to this play. It was and probably that play you were at. <laughs> yeah. Dan was, was in it. And I was in it. Writhing around like a demon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and it was, it was very much, I mean, I think, you know, anybody who's been through one of those, they know exactly. There's yeah. different iterations, but they all kind of go the same way. There's, you know, certain sequences and some people are saved, some people go to hell. And I remember at the end of it, you know, obviously there's an altar call um, and we're going to wait around till that last hand gets raised, you know, and, and a lot of emphasis on that. A lot of like kind of this is your opportunity to not end up you yeah. know, in this place. And I remember I think I was like in sixth or seventh grade. And he was actually a little bit younger than me, which in my mind now, like looking back, just even makes the whole situation worse. Because yeah. I feel like, like even at in sixth or seventh grade, I like turned to him and I'm like, what do you want to do? You know? <laughs> and, Put and a little like extra terrible. pressure on like, him. Yeah. I want to go to Dairy Queen, man. I'm I want to get out of here. I don't think in my mind, because <laughs> even as I'm sitting there, I'm like, this isn't really... Like, I'm uncomfortable. I remember being mm -hmm. uncomfortable yeah. and being like, this doesn't really jive with the way I grew up. It's not expressing the love you had for your friend right. up yeah. there on the stage. Yeah. It, yeah. At no point during it did I feel like the love of Christ was going to move anybody to do anything. This was purely about fear, yep. and and that's kind of where we were left at the end of the evening. But at you know, it, with this sort of inability to kind of be like yo bro we got to get out of here this is not what i meant to bring you to i just sort of was left like uh what do you want to do you know and and he, so he's like he's like well i i, I don't want to go to hell you know oh, yeah. and so i'm yeah. like well uh you know let's i'm like thinking i can redeem this moment like oh well then let's just you know you just got to follow jesus you know like that's all you know and so i'm like well, one way that this seems to be working here is we all should go forward and, and you know, <laughs> you can you can follow Jesus from the front of the building better than the back. So, yeah. so Jesus. you know, yeah, I'm like, I won't leave you he's, alone. He's up here. He's, yeah, he's yeah, up he there. Can't he's be not, back he's here. not back here. I know he's, he's everywhere, but he's not, he's not, yeah. yeah. So he's just more manifest up front. So I'm like, I'll go with you, you know, so we go up front. And, you know, then, it, of course, that's not enough now that you've all prayed this prayer in this big group and might as well in involve everybody in the room, say these words after me just in case. Um, now let's go to this back room. And, like, that's where we'll really pray for you, you know, and we're going to give you a, a special gift that we've, you know, set aside. Yeah. And, like, so I'm, like, I'm still in my mind kind of, like, this is weird. This isn't really what, it, <laughs> what I feel like I was raised with. But also, like, free gift. We're in sixth grade. Q wait, wait, wait. Q Maybe it's wait. Gatorade. I don't know. You know? Do we both get one? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'll pray I'm again. A... Hey, I'll pray real quick if I get yeah. that new keychain. So, so you know, we go Bible. in the back and, and, you know, it's not like anything was like, I don't remember going back there and there was somebody just like casting a spell or, you know, it wasn't weird that like that. But I just remember, you know, we finally get out of there and he's just crying but it's not like he's crying because he's so overjoyed at some life-changing decision that he's made to meet this person that exudes love and grace and all these all good the things. Love, like everything. Yeah, it was it was I'm crying because someone told me my name is written in this book now and <laughs> and I don't know you know, like Jesus who? You know, I mean, he was probably, if he was confused when we got there, it was way worse when we left. <laughs> and what, what yeah, killed me the most was it basically ended our friendship. Like, it was no. like, we couldn't, you know, it was like, 
like we couldn't be on the same page after that, you know, because I don't think he could trust me to invite him to something where he wouldn't feel chastised or yeah. out of place or unaccepted or, you know, all those things. And we're so quick to be like, no, come, let's go. We're all good. Everybody should come to this, you know. And yet yeah, hard, when people hard, leave. Hard U-turn. Yeah. <laughs> like halfway yeah. through the program. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, it basically kind of ended our relationship. I mean, we still were friends for years after that, but there, it wasn't like we were looking to hang out all the time and, mm. and, and really deepen our friendship together. And, you know, and I look at that and one of the things that stands out for me the most thinking back through like my whole life of being raised in the faith is that relationships are paramount and this was not cultivating a relationship. And so that event is probably one of the things that when I look back raised the most questions for me because having been brought up in this state that was kind of like, I don't really focus on hell. I just focus on Jesus. And, and in my mind, God was Jesus. That, that was so in the spirit, you know, the three in one that was preached so heavily in my family that, that there was no disconnect between Jesus's love portrayed in the Bible and the father being someone else that just wasn't even Mm. there. So when I ran into it outside of my family, that's what raised questions. He's like, like, these guys are crazy. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> What's like, because, yeah, it's, I'd sit through yeah. that play and think at the end of it, wow, I've just never even thought of this. Mm-hmm. I never attributed, even when we, I thought of hell, I never attributed the being condemned to it or anything like that as being some part of God or Jesus or the spirit because they were three in one. So that was a disconnect for me, just looking back and seeing, you know, going to an event like that, watching a relationship dissolve when it should be cultivated. Over love, like over the love of God, right? So that was really hard. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the conversation on the Zootown podcast today. Uh, just a quick reminder that likes, shares, and stars, I don't, know if, I don't know if you can give us stars, but basically give us a review wherever you're listening to this. Uh, this goes a long way as far as promoting the content into our city and beyond, uh, and we hugely appreciate it. So thanks again for listening and joining the conversation. So what was your mindset and what were your emotions? How did you react? to that upbringing with the view of hell that you had? I think, I think obviously like there, there was fear, but I don't remember. I can remember one time as a kid, I was at a church camp and the counselors, uh, man, they told me some of the most terrifying things. And that was the first time that I actually heard, you know, if you die and a sin that you committed was unrepented, that you would, uh, you'd go to hell. So like, if you said a swear word, you walked out into the street you got hit by a car. You didn't have time to repent for the swear word. You were going to hell. So this is how it was told to my like nine-year-old self. <laughs> wow. Just maybe eight. I don't remember how old I was, but I do remember that night. Uh, I I wet my sleeping bag. You know, and then so, repented. I, mean, <laughs> oh, I don't no. know if that was a sin or not. <laughs> oh, but no. I, hey, I just picking your nose is a sin. Yeah, I just hey, remember can't pick his nose before he goes to bed. When you're you on can't like piss your pants, man. You're like day two of like a four night camp and you've wet your sleeping bag you know it's just i drank 15 capri suns god give me a break but i was like 
I, I wet my sleeping bag because of I, I, fear. Like, I was having a scary dream. I had this dream, you know, that, that I was going to go to hell. So, yeah. I I think in in those senses, I, it definitely was psychological. Uh, like, it was in me psychologically. Um, emotionally, I remember getting to the point later in life where I just felt sort of numb uh, toward God. And I think that was that disconnect that hmm. uh, of, like, not feeling like I could really love him because it felt like he was holding a gun to my head, you know? And so I remember, you know, standing in the back of, of church experiences and things like that. And kind of just like, I was an outsider looking into it. Um, cause I, I didn't feel like I, I could really join in or like I wanted to join in. Um, and I don't know that it was directly related only to hell, but like that, I remember getting to that place and it definitely had to do with some of that, um, that feeling that I had toward who God was, which was definitely informed by, by the way that it, it had been explained to me. Yeah. Dan, how'd that affect you? Well, you know, like I told you, I, I, I did a lot of that just trying to push it down, not think about it. Um, I do remember a really specific, uh, situation similar to yours, um, where I had a best friend in sixth grade and I, I always felt like I couldn't, I didn't want to talk about it. Like I said, I just didn't want to talk about it. And that led to me not wanting to really at, at a certain point, not want to talk about God either. Yeah. And, and so, but I still, the biggest thing I believed in was hell. I probably believed in hell more than I believed in anything else. Hmm. And yeah, you never thought about heaven, did you? No. Like as a kid? No, I just, uh, I got to this point where I'm like, I'm not even sure God exists, but hell does. Like that's how deep it was rooted mm-hmm. in me. And I, so I remember in sixth grade, I had this best friend who uh, told me he was moving. And I remember thinking to myself, this, uh, my, my friend doesn't know Jesus. He's going to go to hell. This is going to be my last chance. So the last day before he left, uh, I, I like cornered him and I was like, Hey man, do you know who God is? And like, do you like, and I was like, have you prayed the prayer? And just like, so inarticulately and like, um, but was genuinely concerned that the last time I saw my friend was going to be the, or the next time I saw my friend was going to be on the other side, you know, seeing him burning for eternity. The chasm, you got a chasm. That's what I thought. That's what I was convinced. And it was going to be my fault that my friend spent eternity in hell. And the interesting thing is, is that, uh, that came like me wanting to talk to my friend did come from that really genuine place of, I don't want him to go to hell. It's all love. It comes from love. And that's like, you know, like we talk about our parents and our, and our church leaders and stuff that we went, um, that we were a part of, like they genuinely didn't want to see people go to hell. And so we can do these things where now it feels like we can poke fun at that. And like, cause a lot of it is our misunderstandings, even of the intentions, Yeah, but uh, it did come from this really loving place. And my, uh, cause I know that uh, my wife's uncle was a part of one of those plays. And I don't even know how, what he thinks about that now, but he, I know that in the moment I just saw him weeping for people because right. he cared so deeply mm. about uh, 
about them knowing Jesus, but I, it just came from this place of like, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. Yeah. yeah. And so it did come from a really good place. And I just know that that was, that was kind of where I was at in some of those moments too. But you just didn't, I, like I said, I just didn't want to think about it until I was face to face with those kind of stark realities. I, I felt like, oh man, this is the last time this guy, he's going to go to hell, you know? Yeah. Uh, what pressure. Yeah. <laughs> like that's so much pressure to have to save people. Ty, obviously again, your view is different, but how did this affect you growing up? In a positive way. Yeah. Um, we, we've all kind of said negative things. What was a positive effect of how you grew up with it? I think similarly to kind of what Dan keyed in on there, especially at the end of what you're saying, like I never felt like anyone that I saw um, – like using this kind of fear or motivation to get people to, you know, make a decision or, or however you want to put that. I never felt like that wasn't for good reason, like good intention. There was, right. yeah. I mean, people were working so hard, dedicating days of their lives for no pay to go rehearse these things, you know, prepare for these things, um, learn music. I mean, all kinds of things, you know, to do this as well as they could possibly do it. And, you don't that that was motivated out of love. I think they really wanted people, um, you know, to to make this decision because they knew that love was on the other side in their you know in their mind. What the, what was hard for me to rationalize was that it didn't feel like love for the hour and a half that you were there, you know, or something like that. And I don't know if we you know it feels like we kind of just latched into just talking about plays <laughs> but um you know <laughs> we're going three levels deep on your souls right now <laughs> just, i did i didn't go to those plays i know <laughs> just yeah. peeling open those scabs yeah <laughs> but i mean i saw it happen elsewhere at uh, you know church camp or whatever you know those some of sure. those things happen too um but so I, I guess i don't know like the emotion for me um again and i don't know if maybe like Part of it is just it wasn't there in my upbringing. So so when I, I saw it, I wasn't totally sure what to do with it. And I was like, well, I don't know, but Jesus loves you. So, <laughs> you know, whatever focus you, on that. Whatever you decide to do, <laughs> Jesus loves you. So I, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't recall having like a real emotional reaction to hell or the concepts of hell that I was familiar with. Um, maybe just because I, I never thought I would end up there. Like... Hmm. I feel like it was instilled in me that there wasn't really anything I could do to separate me from the love of Jesus. And that's what I was raised in. And that was kind of where I was. And so when I saw something I feel different, like I, I should like, be the pastor of this church. What do you think? You want to take over, buddy? Uh-uh. Not at all. Are your parents available to raise my kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I I almost in some ways wish they were here because I, I wonder if they would recall it the same way that I do. Because I know my parents well enough to know they say they would say like, "Man, that's what you got out of that." Uh, like, you know, like <laughs> there might be something to the way that different personalities interact with it. You know, I mean, Dan, the way you describe your your upbringing, you, you remind me of myself. Like, I was a rule follower. I really wanted to like please my parents. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to. You know, I wanted to please God, you know, so I took it very seriously when these types of things were talked about. And there may be personalities that are kind of just wired to interact with it differently. Sure. But but I had such like a sort of a sincere 
you know, desire that, yeah, like it was, a, it, it was, it was meaningful to me. And I, and I'm not saying it wasn't meaningful to you, but sure. I yeah. can see how like for some people it might roll off their back and for others, they might, it might become like the one thing that they yeah. think about, you know? Well, my parents were different too, because my dad, he wasn't following Jesus. He knew Jesus for sure, but he wasn't following Jesus. But my mom was, my mom like loves Jesus a lot. She pursued God. But when they would, when my mom would talk about hell, it never was like, you're, you're not going there. So you're good. <laughs> you know? like, right. Well, not so much in high school, but like when I was a kid, when I was, a, when I was a kid, a couple years there. but no, she never, ever, ever threatened me with sure. hell. She always was like, you're good. Like Jesus has us. She's got our family, but she believes in hell. I mean, and I believe in hell, but it's not, it wasn't like held over our head to motivate us. So yeah. I got to give yeah. my mom credit for that. But that doesn't mean, I didn't have my own personal stuff. Like I thought, I thought I was going to hell. Like I was just like, I hope I don't. And I love God, but there's no way I'm going. Yeah. At least not right away. <laughs> you know, I, I knew we might be able to figure something out, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I knew I was going to walk right into heaven. But that's kind of like you. I thought about hell. I never thought about heaven. I thought about hell. Yeah. Which is kind of sad because you should be able to look forward to something yeah. rather than the opposite of that. So what were some pivotal shifts in your thinking or moments even that it just didn't seem right of where your stance was at that time? I guess for me, like growing up in church, the narrative was very cut and dry. Like there was a timeline for this, you know, if you died, you know, absent in the body is present with the Lord. So you kind of like, you went to this either one way or the other. Um, and hell looked a certain way and was a certain place and heaven, you know, was the opposite. So I think for me, when I really, when I really started digging into scripture and cause you have your kid understanding and, you know, try to read your Bible as a kid, but like, as you get older and you kind of get a more complete picture, it, I realized that the, the narrative that I'd been taught, I didn't find it there it wasn't as cut and dry. It wasn't just as simple as you die. You either go down under the ground to hell or up into the clouds for heaven. In fact, when you sort of get to the end of the story, it's like, it doesn't even look like those places exist in those forms. And so, um, so it really challenged me. And I remember kind of like a, a breaking point for me, at least with sort of that traditional, that traditional framework was when it, I was reading in the, the end of Revelation and there's this moment where they're describing like <clears throat> the the city of God and it says that the gates were, were always open and that the nations would bring their glory into it. And I just remember having this moment where I'm like, the nations? Who are the nations? <laughs> Nobody ever told me about the nations. I thought they didn't make it. Like, like <laughs> it, you're either in heaven or you're burning. Like, you're, there's no nations and I just remember having this moment where I had to, I had to sort of like, like I just didn't have any space for that to exist. And so it sort of sent me on a journey trying to discover, you know, and unravel more of, of, you know, you start pulling out at that thread and you start watching sort of the tapestry just unravel and, and, and get reworked. And so that, that's where it started for me. I think I had a couple different ones. I know when I went to when I went to college and I was 
uh, I went to Bible college at Hillsong in Australia and they did a, they actually did a pretty good job of just laying things out instead of telling you what to believe. And so it was the first time I was introduced to different views of hell other than just, it has to be an eternal conscious torment, literal fire, all that kind of stuff, literal sulfur, all that kind of thing. Um, it was the first time I'd really uh, thought that maybe there was another option. And I, I kind of was open to it, but still was like, well, that I've grown up believing this. I, I have no reason to change. Um, and then, but because of that, I started reading a lot more over the course of several years. I was reading different books. I, I read Love Wins by Rob Bell and several others that uh, just kind of gave alternatives to what I had believed. And then I think the biggest shift was when my wife had our first kid and looking at it and realizing I'm not, I love this kid far too much to ever contemplate something like that. And, and really having over the course of several years shifted my view about actually believing that God was love realizing I just don't think that works. Yeah. It, I can't possibly be better than God mm. and I can't possibly be more loving than God. And so uh, something's got to be off with my view. And that just led me to a lot more reading and a lot more study. Um, and, but yeah, I think that was probably the, the, the biggest moment just looking at my son for the first time. And, re- and it was almost like immediate, like that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think similarly, you know, there's some points that I remember real distinctly, like um, the interaction with that friend in middle school, um, and then things kind of throughout our lives. Having kids is a big one for sure. You just feel like until you maybe have a child, some of this uh, father-to-child relationship that we sort of aspire to know about in who God is is harder to comprehend until we actually have that for ourselves and begin to, um, differentiate like why this child would maybe have a a healthy fear of their father, the fear that, uh, spurs safety and, and growth and, and all those things versus a fear that just says, you know, and not, unfortunately I was blessed with a really great dad, you know, so that's the model that I had and that's the model model that I want to portray, uh, for my kids. And, even still, you know, having had kids now, I have three and oldest one's 14, but I can look back and I feel like I've learned more in the 14 years of having kids. And I become really, really aware of those moments where I, f- I feel like I've failed to portray a loving father, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that to me, um, yeah. I think just drives this desire to be like, um, that's that's not a representation of Christ who I seek to represent and emulate and yeah so I, it, it's definitely I don't I don't ever feel like you've arrived you know you've never really gotten there um, which is usually an aversion for me when someone seems to have <laughs> yeah. um, I, I I struggle with that a lot um, and you know maybe that puts me in this position where I feel like I'm um, less sure but uh, my grandfather who you know lived well into his 90s one of his he he would tell me this all the time especially like in the last 10 years of his life he would just say you know ty i know less and less every day but i know jesus 
man, that's all I need, you know, and, and it's that's such a childlike kind of trivial type of thing. But this is a guy who spent his entire life almost seeking to, to you know, uh, please Jesus, to follow hard after Jesus, all those things. And like, that's what like culminated for him. And it wasn't, you know, anything to do with hell. It wasn't anything to do with heaven. It was that you must know this person because knowing him is so great, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's the motivation for me. And so, like I said, even, you know, especially in the last 14 years or so, it's just really come alive in me that I want to emulate this person of Christ because that's grace, love, and truth. And that's, what's going to, um, you know, be important. That's, what's going to sustain my children and the people that I interact with. We have three views of hell that we're looking at. One of them is eternal conscious torment. So obviously that is forever and you're being tortured. Um, the other one is annihilationism. Comes from the verse where Jesus said, don't fear the one who can destroy the body, but who can um, throw both soul and body in hell and destroy it there. So um, that's the second one. And finally, universalism, which is Everyone eventually gets into heaven. They make a decision for Christ. That's based on Philippians 2, where every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, and Jesus um, saying, I will redeem all things. So what are, in your view, what are the, out of all those three views, what is the problems with each one? Because we're going to look at the positives for some of them. <laughs> but what, what, is the, what is some struggles with each view that people have or you have? So I think, um, I don't know if I, if I can do a good job with all three all at once, but I do think it's good. I think it's a good point to bring up that like universalism in this sense, isn't quite the same as like, sort of like a new age universalism that would be like all roads lead to God, you know, mm. as much as it is that saying that through Christ, everyone will be saved. So it's like, it's, it's a very, uh, to me, I just think that's, it's a, not a, demoting Jesus. It's an important distinction to say, like, yeah. it's not like you can follow Muhammad or Buddha or whatever. It gets you to the same place anyway. It's sort of, it's, it's more leaving room for after death, those who may have rejected God, rejected Christ, or not had an adequate representation of Christ to even know whether they accepted him or not, or, yeah, or they, they ever heard of him. Yeah. But that, it sort of leaves room for there to be for them to come to him after death. And so that's, I mean, I guess I, I, the reason that I struggle with any of them is because I think that the, the just a surface level reading of scripture, there does seem to be, uh, there does seem to be implied torment there does seem to be conscious torment implied. And so I think whenever you have like the way you always did it, you know, if it's like we always had a real Christmas tree, not a fake Christmas tree, you know, whatever it is, like those things <laughs> are in you. Right. And so I think growing up with it so long, um, you know, the struggle with, with any of them outside of that one, it just exists from like, even if I'm, if I'm just reading, it's easy to just say, oh, well, that verse could be, could be applied in that way. And it's almost like 
because it was the, the thing that became the foundation of my hell understanding, I notice now that I read certain texts and I read it through that lens, you yeah. know, even though it's not there. And I, you know, even just researching and just kind of like brushing up on this for tonight, I was reading through some of it. And there's verses that don't, they don't, they don't talk about hell at all. And yet I can, I can read the eternal conscious torment into that because it, it became a lens that I start to see, that I started to see things through. And so that, you know, that, that then in order to sort of remove that, sometimes it just, it just still lingers there. And that becomes a, a difficult sticking point for me. Dan, what are your problems um, with all of them? Like, what are some things, more like, not problems, understanding the questions that people have yeah. with each position? Well, you know, when it comes to the eternal conscious torment thing, it's the question I think, it, and it comes up fairly often, is how can finite sins be punished indefinitely? For sure, right? Yeah. yeah. You, only, then, you only sin so much. And the the answer that I always got was, well, you're, your finite sins are sinned against an infinite God. Right. Right. And I, I still don't really understand that. Like, yeah. I don't get why that's, I saw something that, why is that relevant. It, yeah. I saw something that, something that compared it to like, if I slap Scott in the face, that doesn't deserve as much punishment as if I slapped the queen of England in the face. And yeah, so it's right. sort of saying like, God is of the nature and essence that a, yeah. if you sin against him, it's a bigger it's, deal it's than if bigger. I sin against Scott, right? Yeah. Um, sure. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that maybe helps a little, I suppose. Well, um, and I, I don't know if that explains it or yeah. makes it a valid <laughs> argument. A bunch yeah. of the queen but it does. In the face. But it might bring <laughs> it might bring clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it bring it brings a level of understanding to sure. to their justification for that. Yeah. Um, you know the I I've I used to listen to this guy who um, was a big annihilationist, and they they feel like they rebranded the term and started calling it conditionalism. Conditionalism. Right. Right. Um, So it wasn't that you would, the emphasis wasn't necessarily that on the annihilation, but on the condition that some are granted eternal life. Right. Mm. Um, And it, to kind of make it more palatable, I guess. (laughs) uh, You're still going to, you're going to hurt. Yeah. Just not Uh, as bad. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, and then I think, it's like you say, Bryce, how do you get to any one of these three points? It's through reading scripture mm-hmm. and there's, there's evidence throughout scripture or at least in the new Testament, um, uh, for all three. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so <laughs> to, to be a hundred percent confident in any one of them feel like, like you say, Ty just feels like landing in a spot where you're a hundred percent confident is, is irresponsible, I guess, or at the very least arrogant no. um, to, to ignore those things. And you can get into uh, original language and, and start talking about Gehenna and, and some of the other things and, and Old Testament being place of the dead and all those types of things that maybe help you um, kind of find a, a place. I always feel like it's a percentage for me. Like, am I, you know, am I 60% this way and maybe 20% I feel like maybe that. And then, but there's always part of me that feels like maybe they're all three are in there for a reason as well. Yeah. You know? So that's, I think that's the biggest qualm with all of it is like you, 
nobody that land that even lands yeah it does feel a little arrogant but nobody that gets there gets there on their own no they've, it's still god's grace yeah right? and they just and they've they've found their position based on parts of the bible that they've emphasized over other parts i guess ty yeah um i think my biggest struggle with it is having been raised in the church and watching conversations about hell uh, be so divisive and so destructive um, and really just struggling to understand how where when everyone at that table claims to serve this God and love love Jesus and therefore love each other yet it it ends in these drop down drag out fights that terminate relationships uh, I just can't put those two things together and I think that's when so when I come to a conversation about hell um i feel somewhat guarded about it because in my mind i'm like i can't let this end a relationship yeah and so you know this is great because i can sit with the three of you guys and and certainly a number of other people in my life and have this conversation and not feel like that's that's the road we're headed down um you know, but but that's just this real thing that's in my mind, and that to me um, doesn't feel like Jesus. It doesn't feel like Him loving through con- you know, through through those things. So um, I want to see conversations about hell where we work and toil to understand different rationales and and different upbringings, and we try really hard to remove the the human elements that I feel like have been created over centuries of us telling and retelling and em- embellishing stories or you know tweaking them or weaponizing certain things um, you know and remove those things in a safe manner that says how do we actually approach Jesus and say what is it that you want us to know about L yeah. and you know I think for me the first thing to do then is to go to the Gospels and find where Jesus talks about it and be like okay so what what is it? What are you talking about? You know, and, and just try to try to dig into his rationale. And I, I just get this rub anytime I feel like I don't see God working something out in the way that we've decided he worked it out. You know, like it doesn't feel like that was him. Um, and so that just gives me cause for, uh, you know, pause to just be like, mm-hmm. what's happening here? Um, and I get that feeling a lot when I approach the conversation of hell because like I said, if it, if it's going to result in the termination of a relationship, um, I'm just not that interested. Yeah, you know. No, one thing I do want to touch on is just First Corinthians says, "Love hopes all things." Yeah, like Paul said, "Love hopes all things." So when people say it's wrong to hope that everyone gets in eventually, whatever that looks like, I just that's not wrong to hope that because Paul said that, but. I want to just piggyback on what you said because I've thought of that before. Is like there there is three different views that are very obvious in the scriptures. But what if that in God's grace and his love and his mercy and who loves creation and surprises? I've always thought, I hope that this is true. That for some people, they need to think they're going to hell eternally. Hmm. And so they go to hell eternally or they think so. And it's like God wipes it from their mind. But then he moves them to annihilationism. To where, what if, what if, like, then he, if all three are represented, because then they're like, okay, yes, at least he's so good, he's gonna finish off the job. And what if, what if the final surprise, because his goodness is so amazing, he's like, all right, I'm still gonna let you in. 
like you thought. You you started out because remember he said, "Those who are forgiven much love much." Yeah. And so it's like this weird trial. Like he allows us to think those different views, but in in the end, my hope is he's that good. Like he's that good, and Jesus' sacrifice was that amazing. Like because we have to admit, if if it's not if it's not at least annihilationism. The cross, the cross didn't accomplish as much as we hoped for. Yeah. Like billions of people aren't gonna make it. And I don't know why God would go through that kind of torture and humiliation to be a loser, to lose something. And I know God who can create the cosmos, I feel like he can finish the job. That's my hope. Yeah. But I also get why we have all those other views and if he's if it, you know, eternal conscious torment is it, I trust him that there's a reason why that has to be it. I trust him with him, so. And I love him, so I know we're in. Like, I love him, <laughs> and you love him, and yeah. that's what it's about. So, love you guys. Yeah.